Hey, I'm Molly, and I'm the host of the Did That Age Well podcast. Each week, my guests and I recap and review movies from the past, and we talk about how they hold up. I'm joined by comedians, writers, friends, and podcasters to talk about the cringeworthy to the timeless classics. We break them all down and share some laughs as we do it. So find us at milehighlife.com or follow Did That Age Well wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Drew Goodman. Guess what? Like everybody else in America, I have a podcast. Actually, I've had it for four years. Download it at all of your favorite places you get podcasts. I have great guests, guys like Ryan McMahon, Dan Issel, Hall of Famer-to-be Albert Pujols, current Hall of Famer Larry Walker, Adam Schefter, and we kick around subjects locally, regionally, nationally. So download it and tell your friends. The Drew Goodman Podcast. Catchy name. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Again, Sherrod. I mean, what else can you say? Again, comes up with the loose ball, Sherrod. And they can sense it, they can feel it, and now the sigh of relief. As Las Vegas has turned into the city of upsets. As now Colorado takes down the defending champs for their season opener. You'll notice the folks on that ESPN broadcast did not seem particularly, uh, like, excited at the end. That's because it wasn't even a game. The Buffaloes knock off LSU by 14 points. Well, it didn't fit 90, the storyline either. Right, 92 Colorado to 78. Colorado wasn't supposed yeah, to Yeah, they win. weren't prepped for that one, but that's the way it goes sometimes. Joining us to talk about that and more is our friend Taylor Kilgore. You can follow her on Twitter, Taylor Kilgore, a 33 host of uh, Colorado Sports Night on Channel 2. And, of course, you can find her more regularly on Fox 31 as well. Taylor, thanks for joining us. Uh, your thoughts uh, as a, a former college basketball player, you started uh, more than 40 games over at Humboldt State in your career. Uh, this kind of moment for for the Buffaloes, where they have had this ascension, has continued year after year after year, got to the Sweet 16, and to start a season like this, how much does that feed on itself for our locker room? Oh, talk about a momentum builder. First of all, hello, gentlemen. Thanks for having me again. Um, what a game that was. They came out hit them in the mouth. They showed they weren't scared at all. They weren't intimidated by the moment. And, and last year's Sweet 16 run showed us that. They're not going to surprise anyone this year, and they know it. But, man, this team is so tough. These girls play tough. And, like I said, no one's intimidating them. J.R. Payne had them prepped, ready to play. And uh, Kim Mulkey didn't know what to do. She couldn't get her team going. Um, I, I just think this is a huge win for the program and a huge confidence builder for a team that already came in, you know, knowing where they want to go with some pretty lofty goals. Is it possible that CU could be better this year than it was last year? And as you mentioned last year, they had a sweet 16 team. Yes, absolutely. Because you have that experience. You're not just happy to be there. Not that they were because we, we loved watching them compete in March and you know, they, they're not a team that was just, you know, oh, look at us. We're, this is so fun. Like, no, they were trying to, to keep going. And, again, Coach Payne had this team prepped. Now you get a bulk of your, your starters back. 
and they have that experience, um, absolutely. I think the goal for this team should be exactly what Candace Parker said in that locker room <laughs> post game when they went in with Shaq, uh, final four. I think that's what, where their head should right. be. Now, now going forward, uh, what are the challenges at times? Because now they, tonight they play LeMoyne, and, and I'll be totally mm-hmm. honest. Sandy and I had to look up where that was. It's outside of Syracuse. I should have known. Even, even though I went to school uh, in that area. Even though the, their mascot is the Dolphins, which if I'm, I mean. The I, Dolphins. Not a lot of Dolphins yes. in Syracuse. but uh, I thought the same thing because Colorado <laughs> yeah, State yeah. just played them earlier this week. And so I'm going, I'm looking them up saying, LeMoyne Dolphins. That doesn't make sense for that part of the country, but sure. Yeah, there yeah. you go. But you're talking about now a team that, I mean, you go from having to get, the, get up to playing the, the mm-hmm. top team in the country. And there's a part of me that kind of thinks, this isn't a bad thing because uh, now, look, I understand LeMoyne is not at that level, but uh, you have to realize that if your aspirations are Final Four, you can't take anyone for granted. You have to muster up the same kind of energy yep. against the LeMoyne that you did against LSU, mm-hmm. and I think we'll learn something tonight because of that. Well, I think it's definitely a favor on the schedule because of exactly what you just said. It's just a, a way to test this team's you know, discipline. How are they going to approach tonight? playing at home when they when they use so much emotion and excitement on the road uh, Monday night. I think it's going to take a lot of discipline. But, again, I'm going to point to their coach, J.R. Payne. She got that extension for a reason. She is so good at motivating this crew, and you can tell this team loves playing for her. And so I think she's going to have them definitely ready to go. Um, and, and it is a test and the mark of a good team, right? Can they bring it every single night? And um, yeah, hopefully they get their the job done early, and they're you know they can dip into the bench and and see a lot of people play, and that's what you love this part of the season for um, to get some people some minutes. But um, I expect them to take care of business like they did Monday night. We made mention yesterday of uh, the possibility that the best coach on campus in Boulder <laughs> is coaching the women's basketball team. What makes her so good, do you think? Goodness. You know, for me, from the outside looking in, I just see a coach that loves her team and a team that loves their coach. I think she is someone that treats the players with respect, and she's the ultimate motivator. Like, she is a tough, tough chick, and you can tell it. Um, We talked with her right after that Sweet 16 run last year, and, you know, she's, she's just nice as can be. But, man, I would not want to be lining up against her. She is a competitor to the core, and she has a vision. You know, she always talks about how this team is built on, on tough, toughness and, and almost role players to, to a certain extent. She talks about how she doesn't have, you know, power five players, um, McDonald's All-Americans. She pieces together these players that she thinks, you know, can dig deep and work well together. And she's built this roster for this moment. And and that's what it's about. That's what college basketball used to be about is finding players that, that play together, not just jumping in the transfer portal, you know, because you had a great season or a bad season, which is what we see so much today. And I think it's a, it's a credit to coach Payne that so much of this roster came back for a fifth year for, um, you know, they want to be a part of this because they know the potential of the talent that they have in that locker room. We're talking with Taylor Kilgore from Fox 31, Taylor Kilgore 33 on social media. And uh, Taylor, let's switch gears to the Denver Broncos. Obviously, they have an immensely important game coming up against the Buffalo Bills. 
on yes. Monday. They feel after winning two in a row that maybe uh, there has been a sea change and maybe the Broncos have gone through the, the tough parts and now they understand where they're going and things are going to get right. They are going to face a very difficult team, but have you mm-hmm. seen enough to believe that the Denver Broncos, offensively or defensively, are really mm-hmm. ready to turn things around and finish the back half of their schedule with a winning record, which is what it would take to even yeah. get back to 500. Do you see enough of that, or do you think they're deluding themselves a bit? No, I, I do see it, and I see a path there uh, very much so. And I think the biggest difference between the first three games of the season and, and the last three that we've seen from the Broncos, going back to the first game in Kansas City against the Chiefs, where they didn't win, but man, the defense finally looked like themselves. And then, you know, you stack a couple wins on the back end, including beating the Chiefs. I think there's a lot of belief in that locker room. And I think you look at this matchup with Buffalo, and, you know, I'm hesitant to say that they go on the road and win this game because (laughs) I really don't even think they need to to continue um, to still get to where they want to go in terms of, you know, 500 or maybe even a winning record. I think the path is still there for that, even if they don't win this game Monday night. But, man, the Bills feel beatable and their defensive line is pretty beat up and and you wonder if the Broncos can run the ball and Justin Simmons can get another interception they can make something happen rattle uh you know rattle the Bills a little bit in their place which doesn't happen very often but it could happen I mean if they won this game it, it would be it'd be pretty crazy three straight wins I think the last time they did that was the first three under coach Hackett when we you know, it's funny you think back to that stretch and you're going, oh, they won the first three, but I don't think – or what was it, early in the season? What was it? They had three well, straight uh, wins no, at some no, point, they had, but it wasn't they had two good. Straight. They had two straight. They did <laughs> they win their first two? three. You're thinking of uh, Vic Fangio's what last year, of? which yeah, is the year before. Oh, it hasn't been since They started 3-0. and oh. Yeah, they started 3-0. Oh, and oh. you're right. But, but I, I will say this. But it this. still didn't feel great. <laughs> I, I, I want to make this this point, though. Um, sure. When they went 5-11 and – in 2017, under Vance Joseph, they won two in a row on two separate occasions. They went six and ten the next year. They won two straight, and they won three straight later on in the season. Then they went seven and nine in Fangio's first year. They won two straight three times. Five and eleven the year after that. That was 2020. They won two straight at one point. They went seven and ten. They won two straight, and they won three straight. We just talked about that. They won their first three games of the year. And then later on Mm -hmm. in the season, they won two in a row. Last year, they won two in a row after losing the opener in Seattle. And nobody got very excited about that. And I don't think think the fans uh, are are quite there yet or or even very close. Uh, Let's see them go in and beat Buffalo. And then after that, if you think Minnesota's a soft touch, Minnesota's a playoff team in the NFC right now that just won a game with a quarterback who hadn't taken any snaps with a first team during the week. He had just arrived there. And then you've got Cleveland, which is far and away the best defensive team in the NFL. And what puzzles me, and I'd like to hear your reaction to this, in many ways, Russell Wilson is having a pretty decent year. Why does Sean Payton seem to hold Russell Wilson almost at arm's length and say, you know, maybe we'll let you throw 20, 25 times, but we're not going to let you screw up the game because the defense is going to win the game for us? 
Why does that seem to be his attitude? Uh, even as he boasts about certain pass plays that he has designed that get the ball in recent weeks more often to Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. Well, to your first point, I think looking at the last few years, winning comes in bunches, as we know, and it it just takes a little bit to get a little momentum going. And you just hope that in this league you can catch a little momentum at the right time. And maybe the Broncos have. We'll see on Monday. Um, To your your point about Russell Wilson, I think, yeah, statistically he's looked good. He's been an efficient quarterback. I think his relationship with Sean Payton is one that's, evolving week to week it's just weird though isn't it it's weird it's not to me because i don't think it's it's the mindset that you're you're seeing i think it's more of the commitment to the run i think he thinks he has to give russ you know some breathing room for him to be you know, to do what he needs to do. So I don't know. I'm going to choose to look at it like that. I don't think he doesn't trust Russell Wilson. I do think those first few weeks when there was such a stark difference between his first and second half performances, that was a little worrisome. Why was he losing them in the last two quarters? Right. Uh, Right. That's what I mean. That's what I I mean. Um, But I do think that there's an improvement there. Um, it seems as far as not being a total turnaround once we hit halftime. But, um, yeah, I think it's ever-evolving. And who knows? I mean, Sean Payton is a guy that, you know, up until the last couple years in uh, New Orleans, I mean, he worked with the same quarterback for how long? He might just be, um, you know, cautiously optimistic uh, in his new relationship with his new quarterback. Hey, they're only – they're only halfway into the first season together, you know, so maybe it's just going to take a little more time. <laughs> well, there's the temptation, I think, for, for Sean Payton to look at the game against Kansas City and say, well, that's all we need is, you know, really 25 pass attempts. That won't win this game in Buffalo. Yeah. So how quickly are we going to find out? Because they're not the, – the, the defense that they played with the idea of, of basically, you know, really putting a shell on top of the defense and forcing Patrick mm-hmm. Holmes to nibble on, 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 underneath – even Mahomes talked about it and said teams will start doing that to us more. But right. that defense was sort of built for one team and one team style of operation. It doesn't work the same way for the Bills. Do you believe sure. that going forward, trust him or not, that this team could win very many games if Russell Wilson's only throwing 19 passes a game? You know, I don't. I do think so because I think if that's the case, it's because they're pounding the ground. And that's what they've talked about wanting to be a run-first offense. And so if Javante Williams can continue to be productive and, um, shoot, Jaleel McLaughlin can continue to mix things up, I think that that's where you could see an offense that would be productive enough to win these games, especially when the defense is doing their job and, and, you know, giving the offense more time. I think that's a huge key, time of possession, just knowing that, that we're not going to have a defense that's just, you know, giving up quick, quick drives constantly and the offense is doing three and outs constantly and it's a constant, you know, circus going in and out. As long as they can get back to owning that and, you know, having the defense be as sufficient as they have been the last three weeks, yeah, I think Russell Wilson passing whatever he needs to numbers-wise to whether it's just finishing drives in the end zone like we saw last game, um, I think those numbers will be just fine. That is the voice of Taylor Kilgore. Of course, you can catch her on Fox 31 and also as the host of Colorado Sports Night 
over on Channel 2, Taylor Kilgore 33 is the, the name on uh, social. Check that out on Twitter or X or whatever whatever it's called today. You can find uh, Taylor <laughs> there as well. Uh, Taylor, always good talking to you. Thanks so much for, for all the insight. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Sandy and Sean. You guys have a great day, and uh, we'll see what the Broncos can do next week. Huh? Uh, we most certainly will. Thank you, sir. Thank you again. Taylor Kilgore joining us, and the that is for the Broncos, I guess, so much of the question is, they seem to believe that they can be a running team and they can be so dominant a running team that they simply don't need to pass at the rate that other teams need to pass. And we talked about this a little bit earlier in the show. It's going to be difficult because what the Broncos are trying to do really runs counter to what the NFL is today. And the way that Russell wasn't being treated is not in line with a guy who at least by the time he came to Denver was thought of really close to being a Hall of Fame candidate. So that's complicated. But maybe the, the story that's getting overlooked because of the injuries, because there's been moving around, this is an opportunity for Von Miller to come back and face his old team for the first time on Monday. How's that going to feel? Pat Sertan had some commentaries about Von Miller and a little bit about the man who is, uh, if not replacing him, playing his current position and probably maybe taking over as the Broncos' lead sack man. Baron Browning will hear from PS2 next on Miley Sports. Hey, I'm Molly, and I'm the host of the Did That Age Well podcast. Each week, my guests and I recap and review movies from the past, and we talk about how they hold up. I'm joined by comedians, writers, friends, and podcasters to talk about the cringeworthy to the timeless classics. We break them all down and share some laughs as we do it. So find us at milehighlife.com or follow Did That Age Well wherever you get your podcasts. Sandy Cuff and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Yeah, um, I'm very excited. You know, Vaughn was a great teammate, a great leader, a great mentor. So uh, I'm looking forward to it, to seeing them again on the field. So um, obviously it's going to be different not see him, seeing him in orange and blue, but uh, it's going to be great seeing him, you know, overall. So. That was, of course, uh, the voice of Pat Sertan for the Denver Broncos talking about Vaughn Miller, who may be in uniform when the Broncos play the Bills in Buffalo on Monday. That would be very interesting. And, you know, it's it feels like it's gone so quickly, right? The idea that you hear about Pat Sertan talking about how Vaughn Miller was a great teammate and Vaughn Miller was a, a great mentor. And you're kind of thinking that, wait a minute. Wow. Did they really over overlap it? It almost feels so long ago now, Sandy, that Von Miller has played for this team. And it's really not. It's just two it's years not. ago that he started. But I, but I think it's it's sort of a confluence of the, the Broncos just going in a dir- direction completely different than they had been before. Uh, Von Miller had four and a half sacks in the seventh games with the Broncos in uh, Sertan's rookie season before he was traded and, of course, traded to the Rams where he immediately won. Uh, his second Super Bowl title and is trying to go for number three with the Bills who find themselves in the mix. And uh, at, at this point, the 
injuries and age maybe have caught up with Miller, but even with the the Rams, I think they showed that when he is healthy, if used judiciously, yes. he can still yes. be a oh, terror, yeah. specifically yeah. on third downs. And, you know, the Bills, uh, are, 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 Taylor was right about this. The Bills are really beaten up on uh, the defensive interior, the defensive line. And they still, they've been smart. Sean McDermott's a smart coach, and he's essentially, since Leslie Frazier left, it, Sean McDermott is calling defensive signals mm-hmm. as the head coach of the Buffalo Bills, and he's a terrific defensive coach. But I'll tell you, they're, they're, they're banged up in the secondary. Um, they've got to be careful in how they use Vaughn Miller, but maybe on this particular occasion, He'll play a little more uh, on Monday night than, it could be. than he normally would, and uh, I, I, th- I think it's going to be a, an interesting night. Um, you know, there's so many changes in this organization after it was fairly stable through the first half, let's say, of Vaughn's career. Yeah, and the in the back half, he's been uh, going from team to team different coaches, different systems. Remember when Vic Fangio decided that the best (laughs) way to use Vaughn Miller was to play him a lot more, not just a little more, a lot more than he had been playing. Wade Phillips had it right. And to point out that he was underachieving. Wade Phillips had it right. Yes, yes, right, right. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at the defensive numbers on EPA per dropback, and uh, Vic Fangio's team is uh, 16th. Pedestrian. Pedestrian. Pedestrian defense. Um, uh, Buffalo, by the way, is 15th. So not necessarily a lot better. And Vaughn's only played in five games, but, and he only has you know, one tackle on here, the year. Here's, and, the thing. Yeah. here's the thing with the Bills. Really has an assist on the year. Kind of counts a combined tackle. They're, they're, you know, people think that, that, well, they'll look at the Broncos and they'll probably underestimate. Bills are desperate. Mm-hmm. They're, they're both desperate but aware of the fact that we're only one game behind Miami and we have the tiebreaker on them. You can't lose to Denver at home and go to 5-5. Five and five. Absolutely. So there, there is some urgency and probably some irritation in that they are 5-4 and four and they've lost, you know, that opening night loss on the Monday night to the Jets when right. Aaron Rodgers got hurt. I mean, yeah, how do game you, you had no how, business how you lose losing that game? that game, right? And I know the heat's being turned up on the Buffalo offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey, and uh, a lot of folks in Buffalo are hearkening back, like that, hearkening, hearkening back. back to the glory days of four straight Super Bowl appearances. Of course, the highly underrated four straight run. Super Bowl losses. Should have won still, one. You get you get the, the, right. the one they won uh, or should have won was the first one. Yep. Against the Giants. The other three games, I think they were overmatched by Washington and a couple of great Dallas teams. But in any case, they're being compared offensively to those great Buffalo teams. And Allen is very popular in Buffalo. He's a lot like Kelly mm-hmm. to the Buffalo sure. fans. So they don't blame him. Ken Dorsey, who succeeded Brian Dable as the offensive coordinator in Buffalo, 
when Dable left to coach the Giants, and Dable's got his own problems right now. But that was two years ago, and most of the heat in Buffalo these days is on Ken Dorsey, not on Josh Allen, not on certainly Stephon Diggs, who's come alive in recent weeks and has reestablished himself as one of the best five wide receivers in the National Football League, and not even so much on the defense. It's on Dorsey. And why aren't we getting Well, We have this great uh, quarterback. We have a terrific uh, set of receivers. We have a, a good combination of tight ends, offensive lines. Decent. Then the truth is they have a guy in James Cook who does have more than 500 yards on the ground. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it just it doesn't add up that a team with such obvious strengths coached by – I think probably, if not a top-five coach in the league, certainly a top-ten coach in the league in Sean McDermott. Just look at his record. Why they aren't doing better than five and four? Why aren't they in first place? I mean, Miami hasn't beaten a good team all year, and yet Miami's in first place in the AFC East by one game, even though Buffalo beat Miami 48-20 to in, the, in their head-to-head meeting. Now, the game was in Buffalo. Right. Uh, but, you know, Buffalo in September – it ain't Miami, but it, Buffalo in September is not Buffalo in December. <laughs> no, no, Buff- it is not. The, the fans are now saying, okay, even though we aren't in the playoffs now, we'll probably be in the playoffs, but home field for Buffalo in the playoffs is critical. You want to make teams come to Buffalo, even though Cincinnati and, went and up the funny there thing last is, year. Even if it's not a, a bad weather situation, it, you're dreading it a little bit. So you're always it, worried what's it going to be it like. It strikes me as the, the, the least hospitable atmosphere for the Broncos to be going into because you have a good team that's probably underachieving at the moment and is due for a big game, a breakout game. But you have a team that still thinks of itself as a division winner. Mm-hmm. And if you win your division, you're playing a home game in the playoffs. Right. At least one. So there's a lot at stake for Buffalo is what I'm trying to say. And I'm not sure there was very much at stake for Kansas City when Kansas City came in here. And in my opinion, could prove to be wrong, but I've seen it as I've described every single year when the Broncos win two games in a row, that people mainly in the media, less among the fans, say they're on their way, here they go, and, you know, that they'll win six of their last well, eight. Well, that makes, it, that makes this five a really of their big last game. eight, and, 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 and uh, actually they're nine. The Broncos need to find their desperation here because, look. So, uh, but, but Buffalo is going to be equally it. desperate. Sure. Kansas City better. wasn't desperate. No, they Kansas weren't. City in either came of in the here, games they played, as a matter of fact. Half the team was sick, and they, they didn't care. Uh, the Broncos had more at stake. I'm not sure they cared that much of the previous couple weeks prior in Kansas City I don't either. think they did. They were they didn't look like around it to me. with fake field yeah, goals they were trying and a lot silly of stuff. junk. But trying silly stuff. For the Broncos, for Sean Payton. I mean, it, that won't be, uh, what I'm saying is that won't get be it. Buffalo on Monday. Of course, night. I get it. It won't. And and the defense that they, they schemed up to work against Patrick Mahomes and company doesn't work against the Bills. I have a feeling that what the Broncos did, and one of the reasons that the that Mahomes even pointed out after the game, teams will start duplicating it, is because what they created, what the Broncos did for this, was a very good setup for a defense against the Kansas City Chiefs, an offense that in its in many forms is kind of one of one. Now you have to alter it significantly to take on the Bills. And for the Broncos, it's an immensely important game too. Four and five, you win this game on the road. You're four and five. You've knocked off Kansas City and Buffalo in successive games. 
you can at least stand on that merit and say, we have turned it around. Sean Payton will be have some, he'll have something to crow about. But you lose. And now you're three and six. I don't have to give you the numbers of how likely three and six teams make the playoffs. So Payton has kind of set himself up in a position here where you have to come through. And that makes things really fascinating. Well, they've got to find a way to get after Josh Allen. And Pat Sertan was asked specifically about the man of you talked about it earlier in the program. Baron Browning, since he came back, along with Justin Simmons, those two guys being added to the lineup seem to be the biggest difference makers. And Baron Browning may very well lead the team in sacks. Sertan spoke about Browning earlier this week. Yeah, Baron has been a big part to our defensive success um, up to this point. Um, obviously, he was down with injury uh, for the first couple of weeks, but, you know, him coming back and him uh, providing uh, his presence and, you know, him being a game wrecker uh, all in all, you know, it helps the defense a lot. You know, it makes me confident knowing I got guys coming off the edge like that. So, um, you know, having him back is a, a great thing for the defense. Baron Browning is already fourth on the team in sacks with two in the two games. Uh, Zach Allen in eight has three. Jonathan Cooper, who you may not have expected to have as big a role as he had, has four and a half. And then, surprisingly, maybe, the Broncos' leader in sacks, even though he's played in eight games, didn't start playing significant snaps as really starter-level snaps till a few weeks ago. That would be Nick Benito, whose blossoming has really been a boon to the Denver Broncos defense as well. Perhaps with Benito and Browning on the outside, there's a little bit of yeah, a, a youth yeah. and explosiveness. Right, right. I, I agree with that. I agree. Uh, and I I would hope that uh, all of us have learned by now to stop projecting uh, wildly on uh, future results, uh, the uh, present indications uh, uh, aside. But I, I think that is their their best combination on well, the outside with Browning and only Benito being their two top the pass rushers. On their current uh, roster, because better Randy than Gregory Allen. has moved on, only five players on this roster have a sack at all. Yeah. That yeah, includes Elijah Garcia, who had his uh, Who doesn't dress moment. out now. Right. He doesn't dress out anymore. So you only have four guys on the entire roster right. that play regular snaps that have had that sacks. That have had sacks. This year, which is, which is by the stunning. way, kind of what stunning. we told you might happen yes. all summer long, yes. because you the, look the at Broncos the Broncos will not have a guys. double figure sack no. man this year. I, I guess there's an outside chance Benito could do it if he had a, but he'd have to have one of those weird games where he gets three sacks in a game. Exactly. And it, I'll tell you what, it's not going to be against Josh. It won't Allen. be against Josh Allen. He doesn't get sacked. Looking back though, for a, and just you know for the moment there, because the, the Broncos have not faced Von Miller as an opponent yet. The Terrific website, Pro Football Reference, uses a, a metric called approximate value, which yeah. tries to put all positions at the same level. Well, they have Vaughn Miller as the fourth most productive Bronco ever, and that's really what it is. It's a production uh, situation. It's not taking count, you know, the importance of the time or that sort of thing. The three ahead of him, Rod Smith, longtime center Tom, Tom Nalen, yeah. and, of course, John Elway. I don't have a problem, because if you want to nitpick, and number five, by the way, is Carl Mecklenburg. If you want to nitpick... Uh, on what order you'd like, but I have no issue saying that Von Miller's a top five Denver Bronco in history. None. Oh, absolutely. You not. could make the argument, quite frankly, he might even he be is, number two. He is the best <laughs> defensive player in the history of the franchise. And, uh, you know, Elway's always going to be number one. Um, Manning was here for four years. That's that's almost a Ray Bork sort of situation. A little right? bit. Uh, you know, you, you honor him. And, and because they counted his production, for example, Peyton Manning is actually 58th on, well, in Broncos yeah, history. Yeah. yeah, because he wasn't here very long. You know, he just wasn't here very long. And Randy Gratishar had a relatively short 
career. Seventh all-time uh, on that now, list, by the way. I, I think Randy Gratishar was a better inside-slash-middle linebacker than Carl Mecklenburg. Carl Mecklenburg's value, though, comes through having played every position on the front seven. Whether it's 4-3 or 3-4, he played all the spots, yes, including nose tackle in a 3-4. Uh, not often, but on occasion. And he knew all those positions. Randy knew what everybody else's uh, job was. So when I look at great defensive players in the history of this franchise, um, boy, there, there's some compelling names to choose from. But there, there's only one Super Bowl MVP, and that would be Vaughn Miller. And to me, he's the best. It will be uh, an interesting, not homecoming. It would be interesting to see it happen in Denver. It's almost a shame it wouldn't because you'd love to see the the, the hand that Von Miller would get. But uh, they'll have an opportunity to find out next Monday. And, of course, you know, it is football season. And you can win a trip to the biggest football game of the year courtesy of Superbook Sports. Superbook will fly you and a friend to Las Vegas for February's championship game. They'll also give you two tickets to the game plus a three-night hotel stay. All you have to do is place a $25 same-game parlay between now and January 7th and you're automatically entered to win. So wager and win a super trip to Las Vegas, courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Nuggets and the Warriors get it going tonight. Big player missing for each. What would we learn out of this game in the early going? We'll talk a little bit about that next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Interesting night in the NBA tonight. I mean, first thing in the NBA tonight to notice is, you know, they're playing yeah. unlike last night. Weird, huh? So strange. I, I, no I, games in the NBA oh, last night. we were talking night. about during the break. I, I was kind of searching around, Why would you scouring have no games? for an NBA game, and there weren't any games. And I, I It was election day. So they well, take the day uh, off. That, that's right. That's right. right. Thanks, Danny. That, good point, Danny. You're right. That's right. Because a lot of the facilities. A lot of uh, big election, uh, election day here in Colorado. Yep, and a lot of the um, facilities in, especially, I remember that happened in Atlanta as well, like the State Farm Center down there. They actually use those as polling that's places, right. which is actually, by the way, that, that a great a good idea. Reason. So, that is yeah, a good thanks, reason. Thanks, Danny. There you go. So, yes. Okay. Thanks. Makes sense. Makes sense. I, I turned mine in like weeks ago. So I sort of. Yes, space that it was the actual day. So okay, thanks. Well, the Nuggets back in action. They will take on the Warriors. It will be the uh, the late night start for ESPN. I think I said TNT earlier. I don't want to do that because there's only so many that you can catch on whatever your cable service is. So I want to make sure I stay you know, in the they, right place. Well, uh, they ESPN. did lose. They we did lose a TNT game that was for some reason blacked out, and that was a mistake. Um, but that's been rectified, I believe. Because we got the avalanche last night. Yeah, I think we'll that ends nuggets. up being the case. So, Nuggets tonight, uh, no Jamal Murphy. The Nuggets, no Draymond Green Out reportedly. for the rest of the month, according to the reports. Month. Yep, and uh, that's kind of what we talked about with Ryan we Blackburn did. yesterday. Exactly that would have right. been the expectation. You, you said we, December 1st. December 1st would be the target, and I think that's exactly, uh, it's almost like with Jamal Murray injuries. I know what I'm talking about for some Just reason. Just tell Jamal not mm. to jump around on the bench. Too much. Yeah, well, if, if you noticed, actually, it was kind of funny. 
uh, in their last game, Christian Brown was sort of the uh, chaperone yes. on the sideline Holding for Jamal back. Murray, yeah. uh, making sure that that Jamal wouldn't uh, yeah wouldn't celebrate too much. He actually had his arm kind of locked yeah. so Jamal wouldn't get too fiery. Well, kind of funny. It makes me think that if this were the playoffs, I don't know, maybe miss a game, but I I think he might play through it. Uh, but there is absolutely no sense in November of rushing him back, especially when it, it's giving guys who wouldn't ordinarily be getting minutes, Colin Gillespie, for example, a chance to play some. And, I, you know, maybe I get carried away uh, with people I like, but he was such a good college player, and he plays the right way. I think he's a perfect player for the Nuggets, as are a few of their other young players who are now coming off the bench. They're not driven by a need to play 20 minutes a game uh, or else they think they're useless. And that was kind of the Bones Highland mentality that got Highland into trouble last year with the Nuggets. He thought he should have been playing more. I don't think there is anybody in that bench who would ever even have the slightest inclination to complain about minutes no playing time. I don't think there's one person. There isn't a rookie who would do it. I don't there, there's a second-year player who would do it. I'm thinking of Watson and Christian Brown. Uh, there isn't a more experienced player who would do it. Reggie Jackson will never complain about his minutes. Hey, Reggie Jackson gets a start for the rest of the month. Well, I would assume they I would think stay with Reggie they Jackson if the they started game. him the other night. Well, and the beauty keep of this starting. is without a, a tremendous amount of turnover, right? I mean, you talk about who would be the guys that might, and I talk about circumstances, not personality, because you're right about Christian Brown and Peyton Watson and all that. But Christian Brown and Peyton Watson and Reggie Jackson are NBA champions. They have a ring to show for it. No real need to prove or to point out, gee, I need more time. And then the beauty is you bring in the Jalen Pickett's and the Julius Strothers and the, the Hunter Tysons, and everyone else in this building is wearing a ring on their finger. And they, and they say, you know what? This is just how it goes. You're, you're, not, you're not at this level yet, and you're going to get buy-in. I learned something the other night in watching the Kansas game that I did not know. Christian Brown is the younger brother in the Brown family, the older brother transferred and is playing now for Kansas, coming off the bench. Oh, And okay. he's 6'10". That's Christian's older brother. That's Christian's older brother, although the older brother is still in college and Christian is Already in has second a second year in the NBA with a championship <laughs> ring. So what, I, what I'm thinking, what I'm thinking. Must be nice. What I'm thinking is that it is possible this year, even if the Nuggets don't repeat, that the Brown family will have three rings in successive years, and maybe it's because of course the Kansas is the number one team in the country. Who wins playing for the number one ranked team currently? Yeah, in the Parker game. Brown as it stands right now in his first game, ten points in twenty minutes. He was terrific. Floor, I watched so. him. He's he he's just. He's a four-inch taller version of his younger brother. He's smart player. He's four-inch. Great. going to be handy. Great on pick and roll. Handles the ball pretty well. And 
he's exactly what you, he's not. He's not terribly bulky, but he's six ten. He doesn't jump through there. I don't think he's at, athletic as Christian, but he's a smart player, a sound player, and you know, Bill Self at Kansas demands that he he does not play mistake players, and that's why they had seven guys transfer out of Kansas. Imagine that. Yeah. But they got Hunter Out. Dickinson to come in because mm-hmm. Hunter Dickinson played at Michigan last year, and Michigan didn't even make the tournament. So Hunter Dickinson comes to Kansas, and he's saying, I, I went from the outhouse to the penthouse. Uh, we're going to win, and oh, is he. At least on the college level. I don't know how his game will translate to the pros for sure at this point, but I think it might translate pretty well because, boy, is he a beast inside and outside. He is a Great passer, not a good passer, a great passer. Um, boy, they people are saying, well, they may not have shooting. They've got shooting coming off the bench, and it reminds me of the Nuggets a little bit. People are saying, well, the bench, they, they can't shoot. The, the Nuggets shoot over 50% in every game, and they've yeah. been using four guys off the bench. What what would we glean from this game? Because the, we agree these are the best two teams in the West as it stands today. You know, throw records aside, doesn't matter. That you watch the games; those are the best two teams in the West. And uh, what would what do you want to see when you're curious about this game tonight? Because obviously we're watching this one. What do you want to see? What what would you possibly see that go? Hmm, maybe there is a concern for the Nuggets uh, against the Warriors in this particular facet oh, of the game. I, I I don't think it'll show up. Uh, tonight, I really don't. I, I'm I'm not saying I'm uh, guaranteeing they'll win the game, but I, I just don't see holes here. And I I think there's certain areas, uh, you know, maybe they'll have an off night shooting the three, but they'll make up for it defensively. Um, I'd like this team to, you know, you know they don't dumb. make a lot of foul shots. That's that's no, the that's weird exactly thing what I was going to go. They're I'd really like them. They're team, second to last in the league not, thus far. They're not free throw dependent. That's that's important. It's not like they're James Harden and they no. have to get it and, to be able to and have their chance, I but. like the fact that, God, you could go back two years ago, you had guys taking threes who had no business ever shooting threes. And now, if you notice, they don't take as many threes as they used to take. No, they're, they're actually in the, in they the uh, middle of the league. But they make just as many. 30, they're they're, they're yeah. as good a three-point shooting team as there is, but their attempts rank them in the middle of the league yeah low, lower middle and right right now the the 37.1 percent is in the middle as well but uh but oh it won't stay in the middle if yeah. they sustain 37.1 just, just pay attention to uh what michael porter's been doing in the last couple of games is he's gotten healthier and the shot starts falling things are going to alter there but yeah that's the, the the free throws are a thing where you talk about not being free throw dependent you're right think about this the nuggets shoot 17.8 free throws a game you know where that ranks them this is the title holders Last. Dead last. They take the fewest free throws of anyone in the league, which to my mind is remarkable. But then again, what, what they but have they got. They take good shots. That's the thing. Because there are teams, I think you hit it on the head, there are teams that are free throw dependent. Yeah. They sort of just drive to the lane, kind of flop and hope they get the call. Or you're James uh, Harden. James Harden. Right, you're James Harden and you'll flop. Or you're Joel Embiid. Or you just kind of hit the ground and hope you get some shots or or, or whatever. The Nuggets don't bother with that. They, they they line up for good shots. They trust Jokic and company to put them in shots to succeed, and then they hit their open shots. Shot uh, Free throws don't matter much to Jokic. For, first of all, he complains a lot less 
about getting I've noticed that you too. Now, well, it's almost the Nuggets haven't had to do what the Lakers did, which is this week, which is write a letter to the NBA with a huge video list of uh, fouls yeah. they believe are being called on LeBron no. because last, you know, last year uh, the referees apologized to LeBron for not calling enough fouls on him. And Nuggets haven't had to uh, to whine about that thus far. No, they haven't, and you know, they take such high percentage shots, and when you're getting good shots, they're generally open shots, and you're not getting fouled on open shots. They're number two and in the league in assists. To the basket. And they're number one in, in field goal percentage. Right. In the half court on cuts to the basket because their passing is so good. And the dunks are not contested. So they're not getting fouled. And, you know, you shoot 55, 56%. You're, you're probably not taking a lot of free throws. Right. You're probably not taking that many. They're one free of only throws. two teams shooting over 50%. Well, at, at last the year, they the were the game. only team in the league to shoot over 50%. Steph Curry is right now the leading scorer in the NBA. So that will be an entertaining one. It's a great uh, benchmark. We'll find out how it goes tonight. And of course, you know, we will talk about it tomorrow. Thanks so much to Taylor Kilgore for joining us from Fox 31. You can catch her there. And of course, on Colorado Sports Night uh, every night on Channel 2 as well. Taylor Kilgore 33 is the social media handle there. Give her a follow. Uh, Danny Bailey's the man in the booth that makes everything work and reminds us, of course, why the NBA didn't play yesterday. So thanks, Danny. Again, there with the uh, important facts while we're stumbling over ourselves and, of course, dropping a whole bunch of uh, tunes that threw me back to uh, kind of um, early, early, like, college and high school or whatever time frame. A sort of flashback a little bit there on a, on a Wednesday. Good stuff by Danny. We will be back tomorrow to talk about more than enjoy the game with the Nuggets tonight. Little little... Uh, Football back in action tomorrow. The Broncos getting going. Plenty to talk about. We will do that tomorrow. Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette will join us to talk about the Broncos. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Droto. We'll catch you tomorrow right here on My Life Sports. Hey, I'm Molly, and I'm the host of the Did That Age Well podcast. Each week, my guests and I recap and review movies from the past, and we talk about how they hold up. I'm joined by comedians, writers, friends, and podcasters to talk about the cringeworthy to the timeless classics. We break them all down and share some laughs as we do it. So find us at milehighlife.com or follow Did That Age Well wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, it's Drew Goodman. Guess what? Like everybody else in America, I have a podcast. Actually, I've had it for four years. Download it at all of your favorite places you get podcasts. I have great guests. Guys like Ryan McMahon, Dan Issel, Hall of Famer-to-be Albert Pujols, current Hall of Famer Larry Walker, Adam Schefter, and we kick around subjects locally, regionally, nationally. So download it and tell your friends. The Drew Goodman Podcast. Catchy name.